0: Well, like Mandy said, uh, my name is uh, David Jacob Maldonado. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I don't think we ever get tired of saying welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the first time or the second time or third time. If you don't yet call this place home, we're just so glad that you decided to join us. Also, um, we especially want to welcome anybody who's uh, tuning in on our live stream. Always so glad that you decide to join us here on Sunday morning, even though we're a little virtual space away, but still, you're a part of this community, and we're just so, so glad that you've decided to join us this morning. Well, as Mandy said, uh, I'll be continuing our current sermon series, a sermon series that we're uh, focusing on the Book of Romans. And the Book of Romans was a letter that was written by uh, one of the early church fathers, the Apostle Paul, you may have heard that name come up. Um, And he wrote a letter to the church the group of believers that were in Rome at the time, and he did this uh, uh, to a number of churches all around, kind of the the, the um, all around kind of the Roman Empire, maybe a little beyond, um, as as the church was sort of forming. But this letter, the Book of Romans, is quite a bit different. It is by far the most exhaustive and detailed description of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul t- goes into painstaking detail to describe what this good news is about God. And we, uh, this is, the <laughs> book of Romans is actually a very heavy book, theologically, uh, and so we are, unfortunately, taking a very brief, quick survey through the book, and I just simply say, unfortunately, because it might take us like two years if we actually went verse by verse, but I don't know if anybody I don't know if I have the stamina to go through a book for that long, but so we're taking a very, very quick jog, as Gino says, a very quick survey of the book of Romans, and we've been trying to highlight some of the basics of our faith, the basics of our faith in Jesus, some of these foundational and core beliefs about who God is, what his plan is for this world, and what it means to live according to the life that Jesus calls us to live. And while the Bible talks a lot about so many different important things, things to consider, things that we need to uh, do in our lives, in the world around us, these basics of our faith are maybe the most important things that we need to know and hold on to. About a week and a half ago, I went to lunch with uh, a friend of mine um, he uh, used to work for the company that I work for, and, and one of the things that uh, just made us very quick friends is that he's also a believer, which is uncommon in the workplace, uh, particularly where I work. And, and so he and I have, have developed a professional relationship, and we've also—we're um, we're actually pretty good friends. And so he, he no longer works for the company that I work for. And every once in a while, he'll he'll come and pick me up for lunch. It's a free lunch. I love I love our our relationship. Anybody who <laughs> picks me up for a free lunch. Hey, anybody want to pick me up for a free lunch? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but not really. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he and I are just such such great friends. Um, and, and so we're on our, uh, we we go out to lunch and. You know, normally we just check in with each other's families, right? Like, how's your family? How are things going? How's your job? All that stuff. Well, about a week and a half ago, this time, it didn't take about five minutes into our uh, conversation in this, you know, restaurant that's filled up with a bunch of people where we got like hot and heavy into like political, social, race, like real hot button conversation. I mean. He and I have such a, such a good rapport. And we're very respectful to one another. But you know what? We feel pretty convicted about our beliefs in these different realms. And, and the thing is, like, you know, we're both believers, but his perspective on all these things is very, very different from mine. And so you can just imagine two people who are passionate and very comfortable with each other. You know, we're like talking at elevated volume. Like, like it. I'm I'm looking around the I'm looking around the restaurant. I'm just wondering like man I wonder if these people are trying to leave like obviously they could hear us. I wonder how many people are uncomfortable By this conversation and honestly, I didn't really care because I was I wanted to Say what I needed to say anyway, um And that wasn't a short conversation. We were in that restaurant for like two hours and I mean, we just kept going and going. We were even saying our closing statements in, uh, in the car. On the, right? I mean, we were like prepared notes, everything like that. Has anybody ever had conversations like that? Yeah, okay. All right. So I'm not the only one. But anyway. All right. So what does this conversation have anything to do with the Book of Romans? Well, at the end of the conversation, right before I get out of the car, I look at him and say, you know what, man? I really appreciate That even though we can debate and be very far apart on some of these issues, we can walk away as brothers in Christ. And you know what? I my love for him didn't wasn't affected one bit. And honestly, I can't wait to I I get to see him again. And it was just it just was such such a great example. Of, of, of how important the basics of the faith are. You see, we can, we can talk, we can argue, we can, you know, debate how things need to be applied, how, you know, different issues in the Bible need to interact with our lives, but we cannot ever afford to get the basics of the faith wrong. And he knows that I love Jesus and that I'm fully committed and I put my faith in him and I know the exact same about him. You see, the book of Romans, and and Paul goes to such lengths to spell out the the, the basics of our faith, these core principles, because it, it can be so easy for us to divide ourselves, right, to draw some lines around us, to make sure that we are right and they are wrong or whatever, right? But what unites us, what keeps us together, no matter what church you walk into, is the basics of our faith. Amen. So what are these core beliefs? What are these basics of our faith? These doctrines that hold us together. Well, we started the series talking about what it means to have genuine faith. And how the and how the good news of Jesus Christ is powerful and transformative. We talked about how the bad news is really bad, right? The bad news is really bad, how our sins have terrible consequences, how we are separated from a holy and perfect God. But the good news is even better. The good news is really, really good news. God has a good plan for us, for this world. He has uh, sacrificially enacted a plan through Jesus Christ, to draw us back into a right relationship with him. And even though, you know, there's some bad news, the world is broken, there is some really, really good news. And that is that Jesus Christ died for you and me so that we might live, have the opportunity to live with our Father in heaven forever and ever. Amen? Amen? We also talked about how putting our faith in Jesus isn't just a momentary transaction. Rather, there are benefits to putting our faith in him, benefits that bring hope and peace and joy into our lives. And last week, Pastor Gino gave a great message about how another benefit of our faith in Jesus is that we get to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. That's really, really good news. We're not just left to wander uh, on the earth, sort of, sort of floating space by ourselves, just wondering if God can hear us. God says, "You know what? No, no. I want, I want you to succeed so much that I'm going to put my Spirit in you." That's a good, good news, good news. And Paul spells this out, and I thought Gino did a fantastic job talking about how we're not just justified in a moment; that God just doesn't, you know, change our consequences or our guilty verdict from guilty to not guilty. But rather, we are being transformed, we are being sanctified, we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this life well. Now, every one of those passages that we've, that we've touched on so far has been in the first part of Paul's letter, uh, where he goes into great detail to teach on and expound on some of these weightier aspects of the gospel, He's explaining these, you know, cosmically profound foundational truths about who God is and his plan for us, a uh, plan to rescue us from, his, from our sin, right? And so over the past several weeks, I've been so appreciative of Pastor Gino and Pastor Shannon, and I think they just do a great job anyway. But they've taken some of these really, really heavy theological ideas, and they've, they've made it so applicable and, and so meaningful for us. This morning... I feel like I'm going to cheat a little bit and skip past some of the weightier parts of Romans. And I'm going to jump into uh, where Paul shifts in his letter to, to the more practical side of what it means to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. At about chapter 12, Paul shifts into what one commentator calls the applied Christianity section of the letter. So, um, so that's where I want to jump into today. Before that, Paul's, you know, asking these big questions. What, what is God's plan? What is, what, is, what is this good news of Jesus Christ? Well, chapter 12, Paul starts to ask and answer these questions. How does the gospel impact my life every day? How do I live out the good news of Jesus Christ? And so that's where I want to jump in this morning. I'm not sure how many... Uh, Heavenly mysteries will be unlocking today, but I do think that we're going to get a really, really good, healthy, helpful dose of some practical ways to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'd love it if you' would follow me there. I'd love it if you would join me in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Uh, you're obviously uh, welcome to follow along in your Bibles, your phone, tablet, whatever device. You might prefer uh, the words. The 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 passages will also be displayed on the screen as I as I go along. Romans chapter twelve. Before we before I read it, uh, let me let me pray for our time. Father in heaven, God, as as we look at the book of Romans, it's just so obvious that we need you. We need you like. At, at just, Big level. We just, we need you to rescue us from sin, but we also need you every day. We need you here in this moment. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come. God, will you speak to us exactly how each of us needs to hear your voice this morning? God, will you help me get over whatever I need to get over? Help me to move out of the way. Help me to Stay on track, help me to to speak exactly what you have told me to speak. Lord, I ask that you would open all of our hearts this morning, all of us, so that we might hear your voice and be transformed by your good news. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read the entire passage. It's about 21 verses, so stick with me, all right? All right, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse one. This is Paul writing, it says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because, because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the, the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how... to then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Just as your bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Verse 6, and in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Verse nine, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. It's the word of the Lord. All right, so as you can see, it would be impossible to squeeze out everything from this passage. There's probably about 37 different sermons that we could write just from this one chapter, right? And I know um, um, I know, Pastor Shannon is... is more likely to hand out homework, but I'm going to do that this morning. This passage is so important, so critical to doing this well, that I think it's really important that, that you, on your own time, revisit this passage. So I'd encourage you, if, when you go home and you're on your personal time, you know, um, I just encourage you to, to, to reread this passage and ask the Holy Spirit to highlight what you need to, uh, to hear from him and to work on. Uh, also, I know that some of the small groups that meet throughout the week, they, they go over the sermon and the, and the sermon passage. Again, I think that's another way that we can kind of dip back into this and, and maybe process this a little bit more. So that's my homework for you, all right? You don't have to lie to me and tell me that you can do the homework. I'm just going to challenge you. I think it's worth your time, all right? Um, but for our time today... I want to consider three kind of broad ideas that I think might help us take some of the weighty theological aspects of Romans and help us to live this out. And again, this, this part of Paul's letter, this is where he starts to transition, right? The transition from you know, just some of these big ideas into, hey, how do we walk this out? And we see that kind of in this super long punch list of things to do and not to do. And again, I'm not going to go item by item. I want to talk about three big ideas that I think will help us to live out the good news of Jesus Christ. So the first thing we need to do to engage the good news of Jesus Christ, to, to really live this out, the first thing we need to do is to surrender everything to God. If you want to experience the transforming power of God, through the through this gospel message, this plan to rescue humanity, to, to, to break through, to set you free from the power of sin and death, you have to surrender everything to God. Everything to God. And let me just say right up front, before I go any further, I know that this is extremely difficult to do. Very, very hard to do. Some, some of you, you know, you put your faith in God, and, it, and, the, and the next day, like, everything about your life just absolutely transformed. Like, you were ready to go. You hit the ground running. But for the vast majority of us, myself included, this is hard. This is, this is hard to surrender everything to God. And, and listen, when I say everything, I, I don't just mean some things. We understand what everything is, right? Everything. Everything to God, This is hard. This is hard to do, but in order to experience the life that God wants us to live, we have to surrender everything. You know, last week, Pastor Gino um, talked about this idea of sanctification, right? This lifelong journey of, of, of becoming more like Christ, right? This lifelong journey of, of letting things go and, and pressing into the things of God. And while it might take a little while, let me, let me encourage you a little bit. The more you surrender, the more you will experience the good news of Jesus Christ. And so while, you know, for some of us, it might take a little while, I would just encourage you, the sooner you get there, the sooner you get to experience the transforming work that God has for you. Does that make sense? And so there's grace here, Okay. We don't expect you to hear this message or read a certain passage and then, you know, next week you're, you're, you're automatically perfect and you're ready to go. But, but let it be some encouragement. The sooner you get there, the sooner you get to experience the benefits. And that's what we want to do. But in order to do that, we have to surrender to him. I think it's also worth saying that surrendering doesn't necessarily mean that we are automatically going to lose something. Just because I surrender something doesn't mean that I lose it. What I lose is control of that thing. This is an important note because, you know, Christians, we, we, we talk Christianese. Anybody else talk Christianese? You know all the buzzwords. You know how to say the biblical things. And other, other believers, if they've hung around long enough, they kind of know what you're talking about, right? Some of you have never heard this before. You're like, what are you talking about surrendering your life? Does that mean that I have to, like, literally die? No, 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 no. What it means is we give control to Jesus when we surrender our life to him. And it's important, it's important to understand that, and so I, I, I want to flesh that out. What does it mean? What does that mean to surrender everything? What does it mean to surrender your life to God? Well, I think Paul highlights in just the first couple Couple verses, I think he highlights three things that we must surrender in order to experience this good life in Jesus. Three things we must surrender. First thing, uh, actually, before I get into it, let me reread the first couple verses. Paul says, starting in verse one, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable, this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Three things we need to surrender. The first thing we need to surrender is we need to surrender our lifestyle. Surrender your lifestyle. You know, the people that I see struggling the most in their journey with Jesus are the people who just who don't change anything about their life and they just try to add Jesus on top. Same old habits and hangups, the same old issues, the same old decisions that got them to the place where they are, they don't change any of that. They don't change any of that instead they just try to add Jesus on top And how many of us know that that just simply doesn't work? It doesn't work that way. And listen, before you think I'm preaching from a soapbox, I I know this to be true, not just because I've seen it in other people's lives, but I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my life without fail, without fail. My lowest seasons in life are marked by me doing things my way instead of God's way. That's when when I get into the most trouble, when I try to do things my way, when I live my preferred lifestyle instead of submitting or surrendering my my life decisions to God. The problem with this is that doing things our way is the exact reason why we have become separated from God and why we need Jesus to rescue us in the first place. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work to continue to do the things that got us to that point and then just try to add Jesus on top. You know, what also often gets me into a lot of trouble is that I try to justify my lifestyle decisions. I justify them. And so I'm able to bypass some of those nudges from the Holy Spirit, those Holy Spirit convictions, because I've already squared it away somehow in my mind. Right? Justify them. Am I the only one? Yeah. Listen, you don't have to admit it out loud. But it is important to consider what lifestyle, what lifestyle decisions are you justifying that's keeping you separated from truly engaging the good news of Jesus Christ. We have to surrender our lifestyles. That means that we give Jesus the right to call the shots on how we use our bodies. We give Jesus the right to call the shots on our sexuality. We give Jesus the right to call the shots on how we use our time and our resources. God needs to have a say in your hobbies, in your preferences, in your relationships. God needs to have a say in how you do life. We have to surrender our lifestyle. It just doesn't work any other way. Second thing we need to surrender is we need to surrender our beliefs. Surrender our beliefs. You know, this is so important because, you know, what we believe to be true informs how we perceive the world and and how we make decisions. Does that make sense? What you believe to be true about the world, about yourself, about God, what you believe to be true, that is what is informing your perception of the world and how you engage the world around you. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that, you know, as, as, we, as we give up or our surrender our beliefs that we have to, you know, stop thinking critically, that we have to ignore what we see, we ignore what we experience. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven, 37, Jesus tells us the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. And come on, church people, tell me, what's the last one? Your mind. Your mind. This is important. It's important that we use our minds. God gave us the ability to, to analyze, to, to, to think critically. And we should be using our minds. Not only that, but we should be loving God in that way. We should be using it to the best of our ability. So don't ever hear me say that faith means that you need to check your brain at the door. Don't ever let anybody tell you that. Don't ever let anybody tell you that. Here's the thing. Faith isn't ignoring what you see. Faith is believing that there's more than what you see. Let me say that again. Faith isn't ignoring what you see, what your experience is. Faith isn't ignoring science. Amen. Plenty of scientists who believe in Jesus, who are pressing the envelope of science so that we can better understand this majestic and beautiful universe that we live in. Faith doesn't mean ignoring that. Faith believes that, that there is something more than science. There's something more than, you know, what the talking heads are telling you. There's something more than, than what we, you know, see with our eyes, the limited perspective that we have in the world around us. And so that's what we have to surrender. We have to acknowledge that there's more, there's more to the story. We have to get to a place where we accept the fact that an infinite God of heaven and earth is beyond what we can understand. If you can fully understand God, his plan, what he's going to do next, I'm not sure he's God. I'm sure, I, I'm confident he's not the God of the Bible. We just, have to, we just have to feel comfortable in that space, and maybe it is a little uncomfortable just not knowing, but we have to be able to get there. We have to be able to say, you know what? Even though I see this, even though I think this is what is happening, God, I need you to help me understand. I need your truth to inform my life. I need you one who is holy, high and lifted up, in the heavens above all, the, one, the creator of the heavens and the earth. I need God to help me understand what is true and what is not true. It would behoove us to seek God for his truth. We need to let him tell us. This is what Paul says. We need to let God transform us Not by changing our bodies, not by changing our habits, not by changing our friends, not by changing some of the stuff that we experience in this life. He says you're going to transform when you let God tell you his truth. We need to let God tell us who he is. You need to let God tell you who you are. What your purpose is. Not your friends, not your spouse, not your, you know, second grade teacher, not that abusive person in your life who's pushed you down your entire life, not the enemy who is trying to lie to you over and over and over. Those can't be your sources of truth. You got to let God tell you who you are. You got to let God tell you how the world works, what we should expect in the times coming up, the root of the brokenness and corruption that we see around us. We got to let God. So the big question to consider is: Who or what is your source of truth? Is it CNN, Fox News, your favorite social media influencer? Who is telling you your truth? Your circle of friends? Still trying to ask mom and dad? Help explain the world around you? Or is it the God of heaven and earth? The one who was and is and is to come? Who is telling you your truth? We got to surrender what you believe. Got to surrender it. Finally, we have to surrender our plans got to surrender your plans. You surrender your lifestyle, your, your control over your body, what you do with your life. You surrender what you believe. Let God inform you what is true, what is not true. You've got to take that, and you have to also surrender your plans. You must, you must. Verse 2 says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, then what happens? Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, when, it's, when we allow God to recalibrate how we think, that's when we'll understand God's plan for our lives. However, it's important to note that knowing God's plan for your life doesn't mean that we automatically adjust our plans for our lives. Just because we get the map, doesn't mean we're going to follow it. Again, am I the only one? You got to surrender your plans. Got to. Have to be willing to surrender our plans. So are you willing to do that? Are you willing to surrender the plans for your family, for your career? What about your financial goals, your passions? I mean, most of us have some plan or another, right? Some dream, some, some place that we hope to be. You know, some, some of us have this, this picture of what are, you know, next 10, 20, hopefully, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but man, I want to retire at this, at this age. I want to I want my life to look like this. I want to live in this kind of house, this kind of community. We all have some type of plans for our lives, but we got to give those up. we got to give those up. You know, next week we'll be celebrating our church anniversary. And every year we celebrate the team of people who gave up their life plans, uprooted their lives to help start this church. And that's great. That's great that we do that. But how many of us sitting in this room are willing to do that? How many of you are willing to uproot your lives to follow God's plan for your life? Listen, God doesn't call each of us to plan a church. That's not what I'm getting at, okay? Don't, Don't feel like I'm kicking you out. We're cool, all right? You don't have to be a church planner. But is it even a possibility? Is there even any room for God to dictate what you might do with your life? You know, my old man, anytime that we didn't didn't like a certain ingredient of our food, he would always say, well, what if God calls you to be a missionary to a place where they only eat onions? (laughs) And so he's telling us, you got to practice now. And it's kind of silly, and, you know, he sort of gave him, you know, a few mumbled words, not too loud otherwise, you know. (laughs) But, I mean, if God called you to be a missionary, would you go? Would you go? You know, I I tell you, I love the position that I'm in right now. I love... um, the work that I do every day. I love the, uh, the position that I have here in this church. I consider it an honor. I love the community that we've grown here at the South Suburban Vineyard. I love you guys. I love you guys. I love the, the, the Homewood Flossmore community. I love it. I, I tell you, every time I'm around other pastors, they know that I'm going to an associate pastor, and I can't tell you how many times somebody says, hey, when are you going to start full-time ministry? And I just, I'm like, you know what? (sighs) That's really hard to answer. I love where I'm at. I love my life. But even though I love, love the position that I'm in, I know that I have to hold my plans with an open palm. God's not calling me to change my life. I, I mean, I tell them that my answer is the same. Every time somebody says, when are you going to do that? When are you gonna do that? I say, look, I don't know, but I'm ready. I'm willing. I don't want to, but I'm willing. I love this. I love the pocket that I'm in, but I'm willing. Well, I'm willing right now. Let's see when I actually get the call. My mind might change a little bit. But this is where God wants us to be. We gotta surrender our plans to God. Doesn't mean that we have to give them up. Doesn't mean that we have to suddenly move or change things about our life, but we have to hold our plans like this instead of like this. God might call you to be a missionary where they only eat onions. Are you ready for that? Emotionally, spiritually, we have to be ready for whatever. God calls us to do, Amen. 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 You know, I, th- I think sometimes we hold on to our plan for our life, don't really consider how the gospel might impact our lives today, because we might think, you know what, I believe in Jesus, and when I get to heaven, then you know things will be all good. But I think sometimes we forget that God's plan, eternal plan for your life starts today. And so if God's eternal plan for your life starts today, who are you, who am I, to say, no, not yet, God. Hey, we're, once I get to heaven, I'm all yours. Once, let me do my thing. Hey, I'll meet you up there. Then we can do it. Who are you? Who, are, who am I? to hold back God's plan for my life. Again, you might walk out of here and not change anything about your life and God's still gonna love you. But if you want to experience the transforming work of the good news of Jesus Christ, we have to surrender everything. Amen? All right, second thing we need to do, and I'm gonna go a little faster now. Second thing we need to do to live out the good news of Jesus Christ is we need to live humbly. Second thing we need to do is to live humbly. And this is one of the things that I find uh, in the Bible where I feel like we have to live in a certain amount of tension when it comes to living humbly. Paul seems to be creating some of this tension here as, he, as, he, as he's, you know, doing some, some other places where he seems to be giving a little bit of mixed messages, on one hand, you know Paul's very clear, very clear that we are undeserving we, uh, of, of God's grace. That is that we, we can't do anything because of how broken we are, because of how sinful we are. There's nothing that we could do to be able to be in right standing with God, right? And so, I, honestly, I, I call myself sort of a scumbag, and I, I don't feel bad about it, because that, to me, that's the Bible basically says, look, when left to yourself... When I, let me talk about myself. When left to myself, things don't go very well, right? But at the same time, almost in the same breath, Paul says, you know, you are, you are God's special chosen children. You are, you are something special. You are above the angels. You are, you are created in God's image. And so it, it almost feels like, wait, wait, which is it? Am I a scumbag or am I like, you know, this, this, this beautiful you know, creation of God? Well, the answer is both. And that's part of the tension that we have to live in. And I think that that's okay. I think that that's okay. I think that we can square that away. And so as Paul's telling us, that, listen, you need to live humbly. Here in this passage, he's also creating some, some tension. And I think he does this uh, in verse 3 and then going on from there. Paul gives us um, uh, A warning in verse 3, he says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluations, measuring yourself by the faith faith God has given us. Paul says it a little bit more sharply. In verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Look, I'm a recovering know-it-all. I'm in remission. I'm in recovery right now, but I'm... That, that verse lands on me pretty hard. He says, don't think too highly of yourself. You're not that awesome. Don't think too highly of yourself. But then in verse 4, Paul seems to be saying, hey, don't undervalue yourself either. You have a special part to play in this amazing story that God is unfolding he says, he says, just as your bodies, starting in verse four, he says, just as, your, as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's bodies. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts For doing certain things really well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving, serve them well. If if you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If, If God has given you the gift of leadership, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You see the tension in, on one hand he's telling us, hey, don't think too highly of yourself. And then on the other hand, he's saying, hey, you're this really special part of God's plan in this, in this world. And so to live humbly, I, I feel like you have, to, you have to sit in the tension of that. You have to sit in the tension of that. I think living humbly isn't very easy. It's easy to fall into one or two traps. The first trap is a bit more more the obvious one, it's a trap of overvaluing ourselves, right? The problem with this mindset is that we're always placing ourselves over somebody else. When we overvalue ourselves, we see ourselves as better than and they are less than. You know, we might get along, but at the end of the day, I'm better than you. And whatever it is, when we overvalue ourselves, I'm up here and you're down there. And it's a very, very slippery slope toward pride and arrogance. We live with a sense of entitlement. Has anybody ever been in that place? Again, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know that I have. The second trap is a little trickier. Second trap is undervaluing ourselves in an attempt to not overvalue ourselves. Let me say that again. A trap of humility is undervaluing ourselves, getting too low in an attempt to not overvalue ourselves. And so, what I see very often, especially in the church, is people trying to avoid the spotlight or not overdo things. They often underutilize their gifts. They underutilize their gifts. And this is tricky because, you know, shying away from, from the spotlight. It, all, it almost comes across as piety, right? It's like, oh, they're just so sweet. They're trying, you know, they're so humble. They're so humble. But oftentimes we fall into this trap because we, we accept the false narrative that we don't deserve our gifts, that we're not good enough for our gifts, that even though we know we have it inside of us, for whatever reason, we should not be using it. And of course, that's not at all what humility is, right? That's not what humility is. That's fear and shame masquerading as humility. And so, what I think the Bible teaches us is that real humility is operating at your full potential and not beyond that. True humility is operating at your full potential. Not undervaluing, not underselling, not hiding, not sitting on the sidelines, working at your full potential and not going any further than that. Not trying to operate in someone else's gifts, not trying to run in someone else's lane, not trying to do some things to expand your scope of whatever. You just, you do what God has called you to do and don't do anything else. Why is this so important? I feel like I could ramble on for a while about this, but I want to point out one very important reason, and that is that true humility, this idea of sitting right in the pocket of that tension, true humility is necessary to live in true harmony with others. If you want to live in harmony with others, you need true humility. You see, we're meant to live in harmony with one another. That's what Paul tells us in in this passage. We're meant to live in harmony with one another, not just so that we can give each other hugs, right? Just so we can cuddle, give each other high fives, tell us how awesome we are. It's not, it's not why we're supposed to live in harmony. We live in harmony because we have a mission. Do you know that? Now, I could talk about the, you know, the, 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 the great uh, commission from Jesus and, the, you know, the, the, the global church with the mission of the global churches. But let me just talk about the, the mission of the South Suburban Vineyard. The mission of the South Suburban Vineyard is to extend the kingdom of God in the South Suburbs to, to uh, help people who don't know Jesus come to know him and help people who, who know him know him more. Did you know that that's our mission that's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, if all of our experience of, of God, of church life, church community, if all it is is sitting here on a Sunday morning, we have missed it. We've missed it. And so we're. Not, Paul's not telling us to, you know, live in harmony so that when we get together on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half, that we just like each other and that we can, we can you know, stand each other. That's not the point of living in harmony, he says that we're all a part of one body. The image there is that we are all functioning together toward a certain end. We are living our life to extend the kingdom of God, to push the kingdom of God, the boundaries, the the influence, the effect, the power of the kingdom of God. Did you know that? Did you know that? You know, I have a, a dream. I wonder what it would look like if everybody in this room, everybody who calls this place home, if we were all working at our full potential, what could we do for the kingdom of God? Not just here in this room. We're supposed to take care of one another. That's part of it, right? Right? We live in harmony to to encourage one another, to build each other up, to, to help train one another. But how could we truly impact our communities if we were all working to our full potential, the gifts that God has given you? Man, that's a beautiful daydream. And I think we can get there. I think that we can push that. I, I, don't, I don't think that's a pipe dream. I don't think that that's something that no, isn't possible. And I'm so glad that so many of us, you know, there are so many churches where just a few people are really engaged. I am so grateful to worship in a community, be a part of a community where there are so many dedicated people. But I also know that in this room and people who are listening, you're just, you're just sitting on the sidelines. You're not really... Engaged, You're not really working to your full potential. I say we do this. Right. What could that look like? What could that look like? All right, I know my time is running short. Third thing we need to do to live, live out the good news is we must love genuinely. The third thing we need to do to live out the good news is that we must love genuinely. Starting in verse 9, I'll read the first couple of verses of this passage. It says, uh, or this section, that says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You know, if nothing else, this passage tells us that it's possible to live in community and not genuinely love each other. It's possible. It's possible that we can all get together, you know, be really nice to each other, you know, have have a nice experience together when we get together, but it's possible that we aren't really loving each other the way that we're supposed to be loving each other. So what does that look like? What does it mean to love genuinely? Well, it seems like Paul is saying that we need to be there for one another. We need to be happy with the people who are happy, weep with the people who are weeping. We need to be with people, the good times and the bad. We need to actively find ways to celebrate each other and honor each other. We need to... We need to be actively responding to each other's needs. We need to be actively working as hard as we can to live in peace with the people around us. You see, this isn't a passive thing. This isn't a, oh, hey, nice to see you. We are, you know, to to love genuinely and to not just pretend. It's really easy to pretend. You know, church people are really, really good at pretending. Do you know that? (laughs) Some of you are like, don't look away, preacher. Church people are really good at pretending. Paul saying, no, 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 no. You want to experience the good news? You want to experience it as, a, as, a, as an individual, as a, as a community, as one body? You need to love each other. You need to be there for each other. You need to get involved in each other's lives. You need to have each other's back. You need to love each other. You know, let me just also say that love doesn't shy away from the hard truth. they love each other in sometimes really uncomfortable ways, speaking truth into the people who are maybe riding off the rails a little bit, calling people back into a life of community, calling people back into a life committed to Jesus. That's what love is. Why is it so important that we get this right? Listen, if we can't love each other, well, what makes you think we're gonna love people out there well? You know, we talk about this place being Love University, right? Learning to love each other well. Man, we should be experts, right? Because what Paul's really getting at is that we need to love our enemies. Man, you can't love your friends right. What makes you think you're gonna love your enemies right? Your enemies hungry, you're gonna buy them lunch? You're not gonna buy your friends lunch? Let me say that in reverse. You don't buy your friend's lunch, you're certainly not going to buy your enemy's lunch. Right? That's hard. Don't tell me i got to love those people who are very, very different than me, who hold very, very, very different ideas on how to do things, how to make things right. And, you know, even as I said, I don't even have to give examples. You know exactly who I'm talking about. God's telling you you need to love them. You want to experience the good news, the transforming power of the gospel, you need to love your enemies. And that starts with loving each other. And you know, that's so important because it's love that conquers all. It's very unlikely you're going to win somebody over with a compelling argument. Trust me, I'll try it. It's going to have more effect. When Paul says you're going to heap burning coals on their. On their heads, they're just going to feel the shame when you love them way more than they deserve. And we do that not to shame them, not to make them feel bad, not to make ourselves feel good, but we do that to reflect the good love of God. That's why we do it. We practice loving here so that we can love our enemies so that ultimately they know that God loves them more than they realize. We love our enemies so that they can experience the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, the transforming work of the gospel. We love our enemies. We love the people who we don't want to love so that they, they can have a relationship with their eternal Father in heaven. That's why we do that. It's, it's love that conquers all, it's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's a reflection of God's love that's going to draw people in. Amen? All right, so how do we put this together? Worst team, you can come up. I appreciate you guys hanging in there with me. I know I'm going a little long this morning. How do we put all this together? Well, you know, you can read the book of Romans. You can learn every theological point. You can articulate every biblical stance on every issue that there is but at some point you need to put legs on it at some point your knowledge of the gospel needs to be lived out that's the whole point God's just not trying to you know give us some 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 head knowledge he wants he's teaching us so that we can be transformed we need to engage this in an active way We are transformed when we learn and when we lean into the good news of Jesus. But first things first, we got to give up. We got to give up our lives. We got to give up our preferences, our lifestyles. We got to give up our beliefs, what we know to be, what we think we know to be true. We got to give up our plans for our lives. What in your life are you holding on to? You're holding on to it so tight that you're not able to experience the good news of Jesus Christ. We also need to live humbly. Certainly don't overestimate yourself. Don't overevaluate yourself, but don't undervalue yourself either. You do that, you rob, you rob this community. you rob God of, of the gifts that He has given you so that he, you can engage in the mission and the vision for what God wants for your life and for the world around you. called to do what you have been called to do to the best of your ability. And not just you, but let's do that together. What are you hiding? What gifts are you hiding? What gifts are you holding on to? Maybe that you're too afraid to show. Maybe that you're too afraid to lean into. Finally, we need to love genuinely. Go deeper than the niceties. Learn to love one another so that we can, so that everyone else can see the love of God and hopefully draw them in to relationship with Him. This is what it's all about. Reflecting the love of God to the world around us, not just so that we can experience God's good news, the gospel, but so that the world around us can be changed by Him. And I love the song that we, that we sang earlier and how Alan led us. The power in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Man, what if if that power wasn't just for you, but it was for everybody around you? What ways are you, do you need to shift some things in your life so that you can experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ in your life? What do you need to lean into today? Let me just say a real quick prayer for us. Holy Spirit, I just thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that no matter what I say on this stage, I just trust that you are speaking to us. You are putting your finger on what we need to work on, what we need to be convicted by, and that's okay. Lord, I just ask that you would give us the courage to be in the correct posture to receive from you. Lord, I also ask that we would be in the correct posture to worship you as we close. And no matter how we're feeling, no matter how you know, we might be struggling in this moment, you deserve our praise. And so God, I just ask that you would help us to look past ourselves so that we might engage with you and help that to be, that's the default that we want to be in. looking past ourselves so that we might know who you are know who we are in you and know what we're supposed to be doing come holy spirit i ask that you would you would transform us today come holy spirit amen